Well, good evening, church. Hope you guys are well. <clears throat> well, if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be tonight. James chapter 4. Pastor Mike will be traveling back tomorrow, so be keeping him and Megan and the kids in your guys' prayers as they just travel back for travel mercies. Also, so you don't have to deal with uh, Zach, Reggie, or myself anymore. So, <laughs> But James chapter 4, that's where we're going to be tonight. And let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father God, we thank you for its truths. Father God, for its, its wisdom, Father God. Um, we thank you that, <clears throat> Lord, we can freely come to you, that we can read your words, or that we can learn from, from the Master, Father God, from our Father, our God, our King. So as we just study your word this evening, Lord, we ask that, Lord, you would just fill this place with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, that, you would, that I would be behind you, Father God, that you would just use me as a vessel to your children, Father God, to your servants. And so we thank you for this time. We give it to you and be honored and glorified above all else. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to be in verses 1 through 10. Let's go ahead and just jump right into it. We're going to read the whole part of 1 through 10. It says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, verse 3, because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you, verse 5, think that the, spirit, that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but, gives, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your daughter be, I'm sorry, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. <clears throat> so when I was in high school, I, uh, I played baseball. I've told the youth kids this story a couple times, but it was junior year in high school. I was having a great season, and um, I had a crush on this on this girl. And uh, she was in the stands. She had a big old sign for me, and I was, you know, trying to show off, be, you know, this and that. And uh, as I was running onto the field, it was the sixth inning. I remember like it was yesterday. I was running onto the field. I heard her scream my name. I thought I was all that. Sure enough, 
I literally, I kid you not, I tripped on maybe a one inch lip of grass about this tall, <laughs> literally one inch. And as I'm running, I fall on my hand and I break it for just from tripping, running on the field, right? I was so caught up in, in how good I thought I was and, and how great I looked in my uniform, the attention that I got, that I didn't stay humble. And for that, the Lord literally broke me. And we see here that, or I saw there, that pride comes before the fall, literally. And in these next 10 verses, James is going to be speaking about pride and how it can cause difficulties, how it can cause problems in the church as well as life. But he's also going to give us answers for how we can avoid, how we can handle the pride that, that we have in ourselves. Let's be honest, we have a lot of it. So we're going to break these, three, this, these ten verses down into three sections for you note-takers. Verses 1 through 3, James is giving us reasons for strife, for disagreements in the Christian community. Verses 4 and 5, James is going to rebuke the church. And then in verses 6 through 10, James will give us solutions on how to get right with God. So again, let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So we see in verse 1, we see James asking, uh, asking us a question. Right? He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? James accurately describes the, the strife among Christians with the terms wars and fights. And often the battles that, that happen among Christians, I mean, they can, they can be bitter. They can be severe. And, and the source of these wars, these so-called wars, these so-called fights, they, they, they always come from the same source. And there is some root of carnality, an internal war with the believer regarding the desires of the flesh, right? I'm sure we deal with that on a day-to-day basis, right? No two believers who are walking both in the spirit of God towards each other can live with wars and, and fights among themselves. We can't. The reason that we disagree, the reason that we argue is because of what? Our pride. Our flesh. Our sin nature. Whether it's because we don't agree with how someone leads We want something done our way. We think our way is better. Our opinion matters more. Our 
post on Facebook is better than their post? Because even as, as Christians, arguments happen because of our flesh. We are our own worst enemy. Right? We are our own biggest battle. We get in the way of ourselves more than anything else in this world. Because there's a conflict in ourselves, right? We are naturally born sinners. We naturally rebel against what is good and right. right? You, you don't hear a kid, you don't teach a kid how to say no. He already knows. Right? You don't teach a kid how to see some other kid playing with his toy and then run up to him saying, no, that's mine. Right? We're naturally selfish. We're naturally in our flesh. Then we see in verses 2 and 3, James points out what we do and why it's happening. He says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. This points to the, the futility of this life lived for, for desires, for pleasure. It's a life of conflict. And ultimately, it's an unsatisfied life. Right? We see so often in this world, people turn to these so-called fulfillments. Right? The world says, if you drink this much, you'll feel so much better. Oh, if you sleep with this many people, oh, you'll see, feel so much. Oh, if you have this much money in your bank account, oh, you're going to be satisfied in life. And it's never enough. It's never enough. I love what Spurgeon had to say about this. This is what Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said. He says, the whole history of mankind shows the failure of evil lustings to obtain their object. This is the tragic irony of the life lived after worldly and fleshly desires. It never reaches the goal it gives everything for. This fundamental dissatisfaction is not because of a lack of effort. If the luster fails, it's not because they did not set to work to gain their ends. For according to their nature, they use the most practical means within their reach and use them eagerly too. This helps us to, to rationally understand, you guys, the, the folly, the failing of living life after the lust of the world. Our, our fleshly appetites. We are so tempted to, to fulfill a sinful desire because you think or you hope that hey, maybe this will be it. Maybe this will truly actually satisfy me. It's never going to come, though. And the reason for all these issues in this world, James points it out. 
It's because that we are not seeking and looking to God for our needs. This world is not seeking and looking to God for their needs. He says we have not because we ask not. Or when we do, we do it with self, selfish intentions, right? How many of you guys are guilty of doing that, right? Praying the Lord for selfish intentions. And the reason that these destructive desires exist among Christians is because, guys, we don't seek God, truly, truly seek God for our needs. It says in verse 3, you do not ask. James reminds us here of the great power of prayer. And why one may live as a spiritual fool simply because of they're praying, but they're praying for the wrong reasons. Right? Why, why, why should the Lord honor our self, selfish desires? Why? shouldn't right because our selfish desires come from our flesh which in turn is conflicting with the Lord and we know we know good and well that the Lord will not satisfy the flesh right love what Pastor Chuck had to say about this this verse he says this he says I take issue with people who believe that they can force God to perform through prayer. He is not our servant, but in fact, quite the opposite. We are his servants. He isn't obligated to do anything for us. It is a sign of his tremendous love and grace that he does things for us because we deserve nothing. (laughs) We deserve nothing. Our birthright is hell. And yet the Lord He gives us another option. God is not a magic genie that you can just, you know, you rub your Bible, he's gonna pop out, and then you're gonna be like, Okay, Lord, I want this. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Sure. No. Right? You can't just pray and expect to get everything that you've asked for. That's not why we should be praying. We need to remember that the purpose of prayer is not to persuade God to do our bidding, to do our every desire. Right? The purpose of prayer is to align our will with his. And in partnership with him, ask him to accomplish his will through us here on this earth. If, his, if our desires are his desires, praise the Lord for that. He'll answer that prayer in his timing. But if it's not, he'll shut that door in your face real quick. We need to put our pride aside, our desires and say, Lord, my prayer is that I do what you will of me. Verses 4 and 5. It says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know 
that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? So we see here verse 4, speaking of how we cannot have a relationship with the world and with the Lord also. Right? Again, two complete opposites. Right? What fellowship does light have with darkness? It doesn't. Right? It just doesn't work. And James is recognizing this, that we cannot both be friends of this, this worldly system of rebellion against God and then friends of God at the same time. It just doesn't work. You desire to be a friend of the world, you desire to be an enemy of God. It's that plain and simple. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says this. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. When we make friends with the world, we become enemies of God. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I kind of want to be on the Lord's side because I like to win, and he wins in the end, in case you guys didn't know. Um, Our Father, you guys, he looks at this world's system, and he sees nothing but corruption, but pollution, danger. And if we continue to reach for the things of this world, we, we make the Lord our enemy. Then we see in verse 5, we see James speaking of how the Holy Spirit is, is, is jealous for our friendship and, and our relationship. I'm sure all of you guys have experienced, you know, even, you know, maybe when you were kids. I know for some of you it's quite a long time ago. Um, but you guys. <laughs> but. No, don't get too sensitive. Come on. But you guys remember that you guys have a best friend. And then they start hanging out with somebody else. And, you know, maybe you get a little bit jealous. Like, well, why aren't they spending as much time with me as they used to? Or why are they, why, why did they choose them? The Lord feels that way towards us. He, he desires to have your attention, a relationship with you. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has, has a jealous yearning for a friendship with God. And the Spirit, guys, it will convict the Christian who compromises in that area. The Spirit will convict you and let you know, hey, this isn't what you should be doing. This isn't who you should be with. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous 
God. The first part of verse 5 of Exodus 20 says, You shall not bow down to them and serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. We see James in unison, in agreement with these scriptures. And this is just a few. Believe me, there's a lot more I could have put in there. But we see James on the same page as, this Old Test- as, these, as these Old Testament passages that tell us that God desires you. And when you don't desire him, he's jealous. You think about it, what he did for us. The price he paid for us. And if we just scoot to the side, oh, that's great and all, but you know, I'd rather do this. Or I'd rather do that. Right? I'd be jealous too. Verses 6 through 10. It says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter Return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So we get a lot of rebuke from James. Right, a lot of calling out. But now we see here, James kind of flips the script a little bit. He says, but he gives more grace. He starts off with a strong point that God is able to overcome our unfaithfulness, our pride, our selfish desires. He says, he gives us grace. The same Holy Spirit Convicting us of our our compromise, our selfish desires. He grants us that gift of grace. And allows us to to serve God as we should, right? Another quote from Spurgeon, he he says this. He says, note that contrast. Note it always. Observe how weak we are, how strong he is. How proud we are, how condescending he is. How erring we are, and how infallible he is. How changing we are, and how immutable he is. How provoking we are, and how forgiving he is. Observe how in us there is only ill, and how in him there is only good. Yet our ill but draws his goodness forth, and still he blesseth. Oh, what a rich contrast. The same Holy Spirit that convicts also brings mercy, brings salvation. But only if we truly humble ourselves and put ourselves aside. 
And at the same time, James reminds us that this grace only comes to the humble. Grace and pride will forever be eternal enemies. Why? Because pride demands that, that God blesses me in light of my works. Ooh, look what I did. Ooh, well, Lord, I, I, I teach Sunday school every, you know, once a month. Lord, I, I help out with worship. Lord, I, I clean, I clean the, the, the church. Pride demands that God blesses me in light of my own works. But grace, grace, it will not deal with us on, on the basis of anything in us. Good or bad. It acts on only the basis of who God is. There's nothing that we can do to deserve grace. The Lord still loves you enough to say, yeah, they're worth it. And it isn't as if our humility, our our humbleness earns the grace of God. But our, our humility, our humbleness puts us in that right position to receive it. To realize that I need God's grace. To put aside that pride. To think that you're good enough because we're not. Let's be honest. We're going to fail. We're going to fall. But praise the Lord that he freely gives us this gift of grace. Then we see in verse 7, James is giving us instructions. He says, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Even with that grace, you guys, that we receive, we still need to submit to the Lord. Meaning that we need to order ourselves under God. Submit to his will, to his doing. And again, that requires us to put our pride aside. Again, in light of the grace offered to the humble, there is only one thing to do, and that is to submit to the Lord. To surrender to him as the conquering king. And and reap the benefits of his reign, of, of, of who he is. We should submit to God because he created us. We should submit to God because his rule is good for us. We should submit to God because all resistance to him is nothing. We should submit to God because such submission is absolutely necessary for salvation. And we should submit to God because it is the only way to have true peace with God. Who wants to have an eternity, a a life that is not peaceful? None of us. He says, resist the devil. That means that we do not give in. 
The word resist comes from two Greek words. And they mean to stand and to be against. James tells us to literally stand against the devil. This means that we endure this world. And it's tough right now. Let's be honest. This world, day by day, we see it in the news, in the headlines, on the streets, in our workplaces. Shoot, sometimes even in our homes. How dark and disgusting that this world is. But we are called to resist. To stand against the devil's deceptions. His efforts to intimidate you, to say you're not good enough. And in return, the word promises that he will flee from you because he is a coward. We have that victory. An ancient Christian writer, his name was Hermas. He wrote this, and I love this. It says, the devil can wrestle against the Christian, <clears throat> but, he, but he cannot pin him. We are in the Lord's hands. Right? He will not have victory over us. Right? He may trip us up, but we are the Lord's. Right? We have victory through the Lord if we truly submit to his will, if we put our pride aside. And again, James gives us more instruction in verse 8. He says, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So not only are we called to resist the devil, but we are called to draw near to God. That call is, is is an invitation, a promise. Right? And how do we draw near to God? It, it's, it's simple. Right? You read his words. You fellowship with him through prayer, through worship. It's really not hard, but we make it hard, right? Because our own desires is, well, I'd rather go watch this TV show. I'd rather go fill in the blank. He promises that if we draw near to him, that he will draw near to us as well. <clears throat> I love this story. It says, it says this. It says, an elderly couple was driving down the road in their car with the front, in, a front, in a front bench seat. And as they drove, the wife noticed that in many of the other cars <clears throat> and trucks, there are a lot of couples in there in the front seats. And in each car, she noticed that the woman sat close to the man as they drove. And she asked her husband, why is it that we don't sit that close anymore? And he simply answered this. He says, it wasn't me who moved. Right? He's in the driver's seat, so how could he move?
If we are far from God, it's because we are the ones who moved away from him. Right? He hasn't moved. He's been in the driver's seat the whole time. But we're the ones that slowly slide away. It's no good to submit to God's authority and to resist the devil's attacks and then fail to draw near to God. It doesn't work. But we have it as a promise that God, again, will draw near to us as we draw near to him. And what does that mean, to to draw near to God? It means to draw near in, in worship, in praise, and in prayer, by asking counsel of God. It means to draw near in enjoying communion with God. It means to draw near in the general course and tenor of your life. And one way, you guys, this text, it illustrates the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Right? Think about it. In the Old Covenant, God told Moses to not come any closer to the burning bush, to take off his shoes. But under the New Covenant, God says to the sinner, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. That ground that was between God and man was sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. And now we have that opportunity, that freedom to draw close, to come close to God on the basis of that blood, that bloodshed, that work that Jesus did on the cross for us. This shows what God wants to do for the sinner. Right? It doesn't say... Draw near to God and he will save you. Or, or draw near to God and he will forgive you. Those are both true, absolutely. He will save you, will forgive you. But what God really wants is to be near man, to have a close relationship and fellowship with each person here and the ones that aren't. God's work wasn't done on that cross. He continues to work to this day and will continue to work. And in the rest of the chapter, we we see the results of, of drawing near to God. Drawing near to God helps us to resist the devil. Drawing near to God helps us to become pure. Drawing near to God helps us to sorrow for sin. Drawing near to God helps us to speak well of other people. I love this one. This one's one of my this one's probably my favorite. Drawing near to God helps us to think of things eternal. Right? This life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Right? This is nothing compared to eternity with God, no? so I encourage you guys as we close tonight as we join together in prayer and talking with our Lord I encourage you guys especially in this day and age put yourselves aside desire for the things of God right? he, he, he gives you grace each and every day use it for his glory 
Right? We have that freedom. We have the wisdom here in this, in this book. We see the work he did for us. Let's do work for him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for its truths, Lord. We thank you for its encouragement, for its reality. And Lord, I pray for each and one, one of us here, Lord, and the ones that aren't. I pray that we would truly put ourselves aside, Lord, that we would desire the things of you. Lord, and that we would live them day in and day out. Father God, as we just come before you in prayer, but I pray that that's what, exactly what we do, that we would align ourselves with you. So we give you this time. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name.